Today we find ourselves uh, looking at Psalm 71. I'm diverting a little bit from uh, where we're at as a preaching team. We were to be in Psalm uh, 95 this week uh, as a plan for our uh, series. But uh, in light of some of the conversations I've had with some of you in the past a couple weeks, I found myself really going back to Psalm 71. And I want to share uh, what God's Word has laid on my heart uh, in regards to some of the difficult days uh, that we find ourselves in. And I want to give a word of encouragement uh, to those that find themselves in these difficult times. And I want to look at them under the heading of worshiping God uh, during the storm or as the storm rages on. Have you ever been a part of a violent storm? Uh, storms are unforgettable occurrences in our lives. There are three storms that I can remember so vividly in my life. And living in this area, many of you, if you've lived in this area for some time, will remember uh, a couple of them. I remember my freshman year of high school, around this time, was like the first week of school. I was sitting at Hinkley Big Rock High School, and a storm came on about 2.30 in the afternoon. And I remember sitting in my English class looking over to uh, the hardware store's parking lot and seeing a truck literally because of the wind tip over. Now, I'd never seen anything like that before, but I had known I had not seen a storm like this. And then in a couple moments of time, the sirens went off and the teachers came in and said, we've got to go find a place to uh, cover and uh, to be uh, all protected. And so we went into the hallways and for two hours, well after the dismissal of the school, uh, we sat there in a tuck and roll kind of position, uh, waiting for an all clear. And right when we started getting squirrely, right when we started to really uh, cause our teachers a great amount of havoc, word came out that Plainfield High School had been destroyed by a tornado. And I remember the hush in the hallway. While we thought everything was great and this was a, a wonderful time, our hearts went to our fellow students at Plainfield when they said that there had been loss of life. Who can forget in this area the Plainfield tornado, that storm that created such great havoc? I remember 1996. If you were around here in 1996, you remember that we had in July a rainstorm that came and it poured, and it didn't pour for an hour, it poured for 24 hours straight. And after everything was done, we had more than 17 inches of rain in less than 24 hours. And if you remember this area, this place became a lake. Everywhere you turned, there was water everywhere. And you would hear the sounds of sump pumps and, and pumps pumping out basements. In fact, uh, the Cherry Hill subdivision, which is right off of Galena, many of the homes had water in their attic. The water was so high. It was an amazing storm. Who can forget those storms? Well, one of the other ones that had come to mind was in 2008, August 4th. I was invited with a friend to go to the Cubs game. And during that Cubs game, playing the Astros, a tornado came and, and hit nearby Wrigley Field. And for two hours, with 40,000 other fans, I found myself in the concourse of Wrigley Field in ankle-high water, watching vending machines getting knocked down and all of that. And you know what the Cubs did? They sang, Go Cubs Go. Amidst the times of trial, they loved their team. Storms are unforgettable. And if we had time to go around and talk about them, I am sure that every one of you can remember a storm in your life. But storms aren't just something that weathermen talk about. Storms are things that happen in our lives. Trials, tribulation, 
pain, a bad medical report, a, a, a conversation with a spouse who says, I no longer want to be married to you, a rebellious child who says, I'm leaving town. Storms come out of nowhere. They come on quickly many times, and still others seem to linger over and over again. A lot of us as Christians think we're immune to these storms, but that's not the case, and that can be seen in the life of a man named Stephen Curtis Chapman. Many of you have probably heard of him, a strong Christian who used his gift to singing and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. From an outsider's perspective, the Chapmans lived a wonderful life, a life that was filled with bliss. They had all kinds of musical awards. The family was doing well until May 21st, 2008. It was a typical day as Steve and his wife, Mary Beth, were in the house. Their three youngest children, girls, were outside playing in the yard. Their teenage son, Will, was coming home uh, from some sort of activity. And as he was driving into the driveway with their SUV, Maria, who was five, wanted to run and see her brother and to tell her what she had done with her day. Maria's older sister tried to stop her, tried calling out her name, but instead, Maria kept running because she was so excited to see Will. But Will didn't see Maria, and in that moment, it was all over. The sound of flesh hitting fiberglass, immediately followed by a soft thud on the ground. What would transpire next was panic, shouting, screaming, and anguish. Sirens would fill the air. She'd be airlifted to the hospital, but her parents knew right away she was probably gone. The paramedics tried to resuscitate her, but it was no use. The long and unwelcome journey of grieving had just begun. Even us as Christians know that there is a real truth and reality to us facing storms in our lives. But how does one react? How does one respond to those times of storm? The reason why I bring this up is because, I have to be honest with you, we are being hit by a lot of storms these days. We wake up and the world tells us that the economy is going to collapse at any moment. There are many of us in our place that are fearful we're going to lose our jobs. There are people in our community and even in our church that are losing their homes. There are people that are having all kinds of family turmoil, marital issues, and they're wondering, how can I go on? As your pastor, I want to share a word with you this morning, a word that comes from Psalm 71. Psalm 71 has been called the Psalm of the Old Man. I think it's kind of ironic that trials make us feel old. And even though the person that was writing this no doubt was old, many believe it was David writing this as an older man who was seeing the prime of his life looking smaller and smaller in the rearview mirror. But what was not leaving, what was not getting smaller, were the issues and the troubles and the tribulations that were plaguing him. As he got older, they seemed to become more immense and more numerous. And the question was, how would David, a man after God's own heart, respond? It is from Psalm 71 that you and I can learn from an awesome example of perseverance and character. So let's look at this text. And let's look at what God has to share with us this morning. The first point I want you to understand this morning as we look to worshiping God when the storm rages on is that if we are going to worship God, if we're going to be able to do that, when trials and tribulations come, we must acknowledge the reality of the storm. We must acknowledge the reality of the storm. A common phrase in our world today is the phrase that admitting you have a problem is the first step of 
What is it? Recovery. You've got to admit it, then you're going to be able to recover. We have to recognize as a people that we have problems in this world. These problems don't mean always that we're sinful. These problems always don't mean that we are, have done something wrong. But that in this world, Jesus says, you are going to experience trouble. John 16, reminds us of that. Now, there are many Bible teachers who will tell you that uh, problems will become smaller and smaller as you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I can tell you in my 35 years of experience, that just isn't the case. Some of the times when I've had the sweetest communion with God is when God has allowed difficulty in my life. And I need to acknowledge that, that in this world, I'm going to have trouble. In this world, you're going to have trouble. It would have been different had Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have fun and games. In this world, everything's going to go great. He doesn't say that. He says, the world hated me, they're going to hate you. The world persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. We must acknowledge, as Christians, that we are going to struggle with trials and tribulations. They're a part of life. And the response that we have to have is, how are we going to deal with them? How are we going to deal with them as Christ would have us to? Well, before we can even address that, we have to look at where these storms, where these troubles come. David articulates, first of all, they come from ungodly foes. Ungodly foes. Notice verse 4 of Psalm 71 this morning. Deliver me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of evil and cruel men. If you spent any time studying David's life, you would find out that he had many enemies. David uses the word in, the, in our English translations, cruel or wicked. It's the same root word in the Hebrew for leaven, which gives scholars the idea that what was happening was as David was growing older, so were his enemies. Now you would say, as an old man, why would David have enemies? Well, people hated David. They didn't hate him because of his personality or, or because of his personal wants or desires. But most of David's enemies, as we look at the history of David's life, came as a result of God's favor in David's life. We know that Saul ran after David and pursued him, wanting to kill him. We know that probably most likely that Psalm 71 is written while David is being hunted down by his two sons who are wanting his throne. For some of us in our world today, some of the trouble that we face is like David. It doesn't come just from any direction, but it comes from a very specific direction. Maybe it's a boss that just will never give you uh, any room to develop in your ways, and the persecution and the struggles that they throw on you are difficult. Maybe you're a student. And you've declared your uh, pursuit of Jesus Christ. And your friends say, hey, I don't want to be your friend. I don't want to be a part of your life. You're you're some Bible banger. You're some Jesus freak. I don't want to be a part of it. And you find yourself losing friends as a result of it. Because there are many who struggle with the name of Jesus. And there are many who would desire to destroy the glory of Christ in your life. And so there are some this morning who the the trouble that you're facing has a name to it. It involves a person who wants to make your life miserable. Notice the second thing. It's not just ungodly foes, but David speaks of an uncertain future. Verse 9, do not cast me out away when I am old. Do not forsake me 
when my strength is gone. Sometimes storms can be a bit more subtle. For David, his enemy was that he was aging and that there was uncertainty as as to what would happen. How true is that for us today? Some of the greatest storms in life come not because we experience the storm, but because we are worried about the storm that seems to be on the horizon. For some, it is this economic uncertainty. What will happen when the economy falls apart? What will happen when I lose my job? What will happen when we don't have any money? What will happen when the kids don't have what they need? And it's what if after what if after what if. A favorite pastor of mine, Southern Baptist uh, pastor down in the Atlanta, Georgia area named James Merritt says that when he deals with uncertainties, as an uncertainty comes, before worrying about it, he writes it down on a legal pad and devotes a week to prayer. He says, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to invest any time into it. All I'm going to do is pray. And as he was sharing this illustration, he pulled out the legal pad and he says, this is what I was worried about this week. And he says, what I do is on Saturday, I go over that legal pad and I scratch out everything that I don't have to worry about anymore. His legal pad, one full page was filled. And you know the amazing thing was? Is 95% of them he had scratched out by that Sunday morning. We worry about so much stuff. And if we would just worry about the things that God wants us to worry about, then we would be a lot better off. Some of us find ourselves in storms of life because we're worried about things we have no control over. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow because no man knows what a day might bring. We need to worry about the things we can worry about and leave the things that we don't know what's going to happen to the hands of Almighty God. An uncertain future is a storm because we allow it to be and we worry about it. David was worried about this until he turned his attention to God. Notice the next one is unfaithful friends. Psalm 71, verses 10 through 13. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Be not far from me, O God. Come quickly, O my God, to help me. May the accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. This storm hits close to home. It's amazing that we see this over and over again in Scripture. Some of the greatest trials and troubles in life come as a result of someone so very close to us. Think about the first real tribulation outside of the Garden of Eden takes place between two brothers. One brother taking the life of another brother. Not too long into the book of Genesis, we see that it would be Joseph who would experience years of imprisonment, years of slavery. Why? Because of the trial and tribulation that his brothers would bring upon them as he was sold into slavery because they hated him. Even Jesus... Jesus would endure great times of trouble and trial, and it would come at the hands of a betrayal of a follower and friend. David struggled with this as well. Saul, who was one who thought the world of him early on in their relationship, now was chasing him. Two boys, those that he saw grow up, that he loved, that he probably wrestled with in the palace, would one day as they grew older, would now want to hunt him down and kill him and see him disgraced. 
Sometimes the greatest storms of life come from people we feel safe with and comfortable with. Many times the storms that we have come from family and friends, people from our church. Sometimes the worst storms come from issues that are close to home, a rebellious child, a turbulent marriage or family, conflict within our church. One of the chief causes of all our stress and trials come from strains that we have with individuals that are in close relationships with us. But there's one final place that storms come from. I would be remiss not to bring these up, and I'm glad David does in the text. In Psalm 71, 19, and 20, we see that storms come as a result of our unparalleled God. He says, your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God. You who have done great things, who, O God, is like you? Now notice what he says in verse 20. We, we don't want to think this way. But he says, though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. This is by far the hardest storm to swallow. Sometimes there's storms in our life because God says, I want you to endure a storm. Wait a minute, God, I thought you were a good God. Wait a minute, God, I thought you were a kind God. Wait a minute, God, I thought you loved me. God sometimes see fit to say the best thing for my child is for them to endure a storm. We don't know always why those reasons take place, but we're told in the Scriptures that God allows trials in our lives so that we will grow to be more like his son, Jesus. He gives us these trials so that we will grow in character and in perseverance and hope. God allows trials in our lives, and we can get angry about it, we can get uh, upset about it, or we can say, Lord, I don't understand why these things are happening, but I don't need to. Because I know you're in charge. I know you're in control. I know this is a part of your sovereign plan. And so it may feel like I'm all alone, but I'm not. Because you are the one who gives it, and you are the one who holds, and I want you to think of this way, who holds the temperature gauge as to how hot or how cold that trial is going to be. God's got his hand on that thermostat. And he knows what we can handle and what we can't. And he will give it to us in the measure that he sees fit. Trials come from all different places. David recognized this. But understand, there's a second thought that we have to bring up as we deal with this issue of trials. Because if we want to worship God as believers, and our world is full of trials and tribulations, then we need to understand another aspect of trials or that storm, and that is the results. What are the results of the storm? The effect from storms are displayed by the destructive path that they lay forth. Hurricanes uh, have a one to five scale uh, with regards to them, categories one through five, and speaks about the wind and the damage that is done. In fact, tornadoes are determined on an F1 to F5 scale, which speaks to the amount of destruction that that storm does. But have you ever thought that storms have some good to them? Some years ago, I was watching the Weather Channel, and it spoke about thank you, Mr. Hurricane. 
And it was during the time where we were experiencing all kinds of hurricanes, especially near uh, the coastal parts of America. And I was surprised by that, but in watching it, I learned that hurricanes do an incredible amount of good to our ecosystem. They, in some ways, kind of refresh the table. They set us anew so that new vegetation can grow, so wildlife are able to uh, have new blessing and new opportunities for new growth. And then I began to think, is that true of storms in the life of the Christian? Though we find ourselves being tossed and turned, though we find ourselves being beaten up, amidst those storms, might there be a positive result? David addresses this in Psalm 71. And he says, first of all, that storms bring a blessing that is about our vulnerability. See, storms make us vulnerable. Notice what verse 7 says. I have become like a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. We don't use that word portent uh, very often. In fact, I had to look up what that word meant. It means a wonder. I'm a wonder, people say. People are talking about me. And the reason why David is a portent, a wonder to many, is because people are looking at David's life and saying, man, he's got it going on. He's, He's a king. He's a guy that walks with God. He's had incredible victories in his life. But notice what is shared next. A three-letter word after many, it says, but. We need to understand that while even though people look at us, trials remind us that it isn't all about us. We need to remember that everything we have, everything we're a part of, is because of God. You see, I wonder if David had been thinking early on in his life, I know I would have, victory after victory that he would have began to look at his muscles and look at his intellect and say, wow, I'm a pretty happening guy. Look at the great things that I'm doing. But as he grows older and as the trials and tribulations come, we don't see a man who's looking at his physique or his intellect, but we see a man who begins to look to his God. You see, when good things are happening in our lives, we pat ourselves on the back. You may lie and say you don't do that, but I do. When things are going well, I say, man, when it's in business, boy, I'm a savvy businessman. When it happens in church, I say, wow, I'm an excellent communicator. Look at what I'm doing. When good things are happening in the family, I say, wow, it's because the kids have a great father and Amanda has a great husband. Look at me. And then trials and tribulations come. And I say, God, it isn't about me, it's about you. And that's a wonderful thing that we need to know. Trials humble the Christian. They remind us that we are vulnerable. You see, David was thinking, and we begin to think that it's the God and Tim show. It's the God and David show. No, my friends, it's the God show. And it's all about him. And we are to live in light of that truth every day. Trials bring us back to that. Look at verse 12. Storms will show us our need for dependency. Verse 12 says, be not far from me, O God. David wanted God close. He was probably scared. He was probably nervous. And he wanted to get as close to someone who was bigger than the problems that he faced. I love my children. My children are independent little boys. They will tell you at any moment in time they're not afraid. And then some clap of thunder. 
Some noise or some darkness scares them. And what do they do? They don't stand there and say, hey, Dad, I'm strong and I can take... They come running for me. And what do they do when they get there? They grab a hold of me and they don't let go. I say, it's all right. Don't worry about the boogeyman. Let's go talk. No, Dad, you, you stay here with me. That's what we do in trials. Now, we don't do that as little children do, but you'd be amazed. The prayer life that comes when the trial takes place. I can't tell you how many times a trial has come out of nowhere and I have run to my God. Some years ago, Noah had gotten really sick and we were, we were starting to worry about him. His glands were as inflamed as I've ever seen anything on a little boy and he was running a high fever and we went to the doctor and they said, oh boy, you need to go to the hospital. You need to get the hospital to look at them. And the report came back and they said, well, he could have one of two things. He could have mono or he could have leukemia. Now, I wouldn't have thought much of that, but if you know, leukemia is a genetic thing. Many of you don't know, Amanda, before she was born, had an older sister who died at three and a half years of age from leukemia. And terror struck my heart. I remember waiting for the report, saying, Lord, you give us this child, you're going to take him away? Come on, what are you doing? And the Lord kept saying, are you going to depend on yourself now? Or are you going to depend on me? Of course, the report came back, and it was mono, and we had some explaining to do with all the girls that Noah had been kissing in the nursery. But I remember praying more than I've ever prayed before because I needed someone to depend on. And big old bad Tim didn't have a handle on that issue at all. David recognized this, and that's why storms are a blessing. The final blessing that comes from storms is that we are able to proclaim our urgency. Verse 12, be not far from me, O God. O God, come quickly, O my God, to help me. In that phrase, everything is in the emphatic tense in the Hebrew language. What it is, is David is yelling. He's screaming at the top of his lungs, help me, God, I can't do it without you. We live in a constant state like that. But when was the last time that you and I cried out to God in that way? We need God for everything that pertains to life and breath and food and shelter. We need that every moment of every day. But when was the last time we prayed in urgency for our daily bread? We don't because we're self-sufficient. And it's when trials come that we get on our knees and we cry out, God, I can't make one more move without you. I can't take one more step without you guiding my ways. I need you. I need you, as the hymn says, every hour I need you. Storms make us vulnerable. Storms make us dependent. Storms remind us of our urgent need for God to be with us every step of the way. Storms, trials are good. And that's why the Bible says, brothers and sisters, consider it pure joy when trials of many kinds afflict you. Because they're good. They hurt, but they will grow us in the end. The final thing that we see is that we're able to worship God when we have a proper response to the storm. 
no matter what you're struggling with, we are called to worship and serve God. But what happens when we're struggling to stay afloat? I was talking with someone yesterday from our church who has just received foreclosure papers. They are about $800 to $1,000 in the red every month without their house right now. And the reason why is the wife lost her job and the husband now is working only about 20 hours a week. And he said, Tim, what do I tell my family? Tim, what do I tell my wife? I want to tell them that God is good, but where do I find that good? I want to know that God is in control, but everything seems to be out of control. Tim, what do I do and where do I go? It's in those moments that my heart breaks because as a pastor who thinks I'm pretty good and pretty smart, I've got no answer for them. What am I going to say? Oh, just keep it up? Oh, things will turn around? The sun will come up tomorrow? Those won't work when trials come. It's like taking a fly swatter and trying to move a tornado. It doesn't happen. It will do you no good. But Psalm 71 has some things for us to remember. A proper response involves remembering the character of God. Remember the character of God. Whenever we face trials, we need to remember, we need to be reminded of who God is. Psalm 71 says that David had struggles. But in Psalm 71, we see David over and over again remembering his God and speaking to the character of who God is. Your trials seem big? Remember that God is bigger. The storms seem strong and powerful? Remember that you have an omnipotent God. You see storms coming from every direction? Don't forget you have an omnipresent, an ever-present God who says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. This is the God who created all of creation. This is the God who allows the trials in your life. And if we begin to forget that God is a good God and a loving God and a God who desires for his children to become more like his son, then we will see God as this incredibly evil ogre who's just beaten the snot out of his creation. But that's not who God is. God loves you. And it is God who says that you and I can be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We must remember the power and the strength and the faithfulness of our God. Notice the next thing. It involves reviewing the care of God. Verse 4 through 6 says, Deliver me, O God, from the land of the wicked, from the grasp of evil and cruel men. Notice what he says. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You have brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. What did David do in his time of despair? I think what David did was he went to his entertainment center there in Palestine, and he pulled out from his DVD collection David the early years. And I think when he was wondering about tomorrow, he went to that video and he began to look at the early years. 
and he's reminded that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. He was reminded that God knows the number of hairs on his head, that God is intimately engaged with him, even from birth. And then as a shepherd boy, he's reminded, and the video comes up, where God protected him when the lion and the bear came to try to steal from his fold. And there he was victorious. And then he fast-forwards to his early teenage years when this big ogre named Goliath is sitting there and defaming the name of God and the people of Israel wondering what would come of them. It is there that God protects and God leads this young David to take and to slay the great giant Goliath. Story after story after story of God's care and his compassion in the early life of David. And so what David did, so he would be able to look forward with confidence, it involved looking back and remembering what God has done. Has not God met our needs? Has he not met us every step of the way? Has not God protected us in times of trouble? Has not God supplied us in our hour of need? If we look back and recognize God's good in the past, we will be able to look with confidence to the future of what? is before us. David looked back so he could look ahead. Some of you are looking ahead and you're forgetting that God has met you. You say, but what about my job tomorrow? Well, didn't God take care of that yesterday? Well, what about the food that I need for tomorrow? Did not God give you food yesterday? Let us review the care of God as David did in Psalm 71. Notice the third one. It involves rejoicing in our celebration with God. But as for me, verse 14 says, I will always have hope. I will always praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. Verse 22 and 24 says, I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, whom you have redeemed. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. I want you to know that in midst of trials, the thing that God wants us to do is to celebrate and rejoice in him. And there are some of us who are wondering, God, when is this going to end? God, when is this going to be enough? Haven't you, haven't you done enough to me already? We need to stop speaking that way to our God. As Job tells his wife, do we expect the good from God and not the bad? Do we expect God's goodness in our lives but not expect trials? We need to be celebrating and praising the name of Jesus. On the day we receive the pink slip, on the day that our bank uh, turns us down for a loan, on the day where we're told that we have to move out of our house, when our wife or our husband says, we're out of, I'm out of here, those are the days that we say, though it's difficult, though it's hard, Jesus, I praise you. I praise you because you're greater and more awesome than anything this world has. And because even though this world seems to be tearing me up, I have you, and that is where my faith and hope are found. The mark of a godly, a truly godly individual is one who can worship God amidst the greatest difficulties and circumstances of life. You want to test your maturity this morning? Ask, what is your response when trials come? Are you shaking your fist at God and saying, God, why me? 
are you saying, Lord, you've been good to me, and this trial is yet another good in my life that will make me more like your son. The next thing I have, and I don't know if I have this on there, but go ahead and throw the next one up there, uh, uh, Dennis, that next uh, bullet point. Renewing our commitment. I've got that one. I wasn't sure if I had added this one. Uh, Verse 18, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me. O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. When the storm comes, questions come, and we wonder, is God done with me? Have I messed up so many times that he's found someone else to use? This is what David is thinking as an old man. He's struggling with this. Is God, God, are you done with me? Have I blown it? Have I made such mistakes that there's no part of you? But notice what verse 18 says. The second part of verse 18 is important. Do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. What God wants us to do in our times of trouble is to recommit our life and ministry to him. Not to conform to the way the world does, as Robin was talking about in the first part of her sharing, to conform to looking at God and saying, woe is me, I'm having a difficult life and feel sorry for me, but a life that says, admits my difficulties, I'm going to serve you. There's a story of a guy named Nick, I don't know how you say his last name, Vucevich, I believe is how you say it, and he is a man who had no arms and no legs. And yet he's used that to renew his commitment to share the goodness of Jesus Christ. And he says, let me tell you why I think God allowed this to happen in my life and why it's a good thing. I would never be able to share with you the love of Jesus Christ if I was just like everyone else. But when someone speaks about the joy of Christ in one's life and you have no arms and legs, people listen. Brothers and sisters, when trials come, our friends, our neighbors, our family members are going to listen. When they hear that you have cancer and you praise the name of Jesus, they're going to say, wait a minute, I didn't see that in the world's handbook. You have an opportunity to proclaim the greatness of God when all the world is listening. And so what David says three times in our text is he uses phrases like always or continually. What God wants in our lives is for us to be people of trust, people of hope, and people of praise. Not just when the good times come, not when all the bills are paid or the marriage is in a good spot, but in the most difficult of times that we would show the world we have trust and hope in the God we love. Maybe today you find yourself taking a bleak look at life. When you make God your hope and your trust, you will have a new confidence in your God. I don't know if you have that in your outlines, but write that down. You will reclaim a new confidence in your God. Because you're not going to look at the bleak things of life anymore. You're not going to buy into Murphy's Law that says whatever can go wrong will go wrong because Psalm 71 will send you in a new direction and your attitude will change. Your heart will change. Your response to that kind of law will change and here's what your response will be. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong and I know that God will use whatever goes wrong to the best for me. We take a far too pessimistic view on life because we forget the confidence that we have that God is in control. 
He's bigger than anything that we face, Village Bible Church. David had confidence to take on a bear and a lion, to take on the role of a king, to take on uh, the ability to, to strike down a giant. And in those times, he had confidence in his God because his God was with him. Folks, no matter what we deal with today, we can be confident that we can worship the God of eternity as the storm rages on. That we can be confident that he who began this work in us will be faithful to see it to completion. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for our time this morning. And Lord, I pray that through the words of Psalm 71, we would be changed. That we would remember life isn't always easy. That life sometimes is downright hard. Lord, I pray that those who find themselves right in this moment enduring a storm of any kind, that today there would be a word for them. Remind them of this truth. Speak to them with regards to this truth. That they would be able to admit the rain and the, and the storm and the lightning and the thunder. That they would be able to say, Lord, though this is hard, I will still worship you. Remind us to look back to your goodness. Remind us to remember who you are and what you're all about. Remind us of the words in your scripture that tell us that we'll never be alone, that you will give us all that we need to endure through these difficult times and come out better in the end. Lord, these aren't rosy words of of platitudes and, and, and goodwill, but Lord, these are truths that come from your scripture. Build in us the confidence of your word so that we can live in light of this truth. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, we enter into a world of trouble. Let us not take these words and put them in our back pocket, but let us put them on our heads and in our hearts and on our hands so when that random act of trial comes on that random Tuesday, we are ready to praise the name of Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen.